Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, guest hosted by Jordan Wade, who has a master's in American studies, a commitment to social justice, and an interest in the topics of identity and religion, we visit with Miranda Kossoff, author of The Rope of Life, a poignant memoir about the faith, identity, loss, and the bond between fathers and their daughters. Fueled by the memory of a flight in her father's airplane, Miranda dives into her father's legacy to understand his sudden death and his struggle with identity. Kim Church, author of Bird, had this to say about the book. Miranda Kossoff's father was a shapeshifter, a Jewish-turned-Southern-Baptist Dennis Pilot farmer who never managed to escape the stigma of otherness or the pain of unbelonging. In this memoir full of heart and heartbreak, Kossoff reflects on her father's legacy and her own journey of self-invention and reinvention. It's a frank, moving, timely story. Now, this show is part of our guest-hosted series, and I'm pleased in this case to introduce my daughter, Jordan, who's interested in reading Miranda's book and conducting this interview. And Jordan uh, lives in North Carolina in Durham, and after years of moving around the U.S. Is, and traveling abroad, uh, her heart and soul are in Austin, Texas, where she says she plans to return in the near future to my chagrin because it's a long walk to Texas, <laughs> but she has worked a variety of jobs uh, through the years and generally seeks out experiences to create meaning and connect people. Uh, interests include food, travel, cats, one might cross here as we're doing this, and music and theater and dance. 
and the list goes on. And uh, so I thought she'd be the perfect uh, person to lead this interview. Jordan, I'm going to now turn over the audio controls to you to, to welcome Miranda. And uh, I'll be in the background here listening to this fascinating interview. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Miranda, welcome. Thanks for coming on to my dad's podcast and today my podcast. <laughs> we have you here. Um, where are you coming in from? Are you still in North Carolina? Oh, I am. I have been for, ooh, well, probably most of my adult life. And, and Durham was where I lived most of my adult life. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I know that you grew up from in from the book. I know you grew up in Danville, Virginia, and then you left home for college, then moved to Japan, lived in England. I feel like I resonate with all of this. I grew up yeah. in the South and I wanted to get out and I left for 10 years and then I came back to Durham of all places. I also worked for the American Dance Company for a little while. So I resonated with a lot of your story and you've got a few uh years on me. So maybe you can teach me what comes next and how we're going to work this out. <laughs> More than a few. <laughs> um, I was really interested in reading your book and congratulations. I'm glad you got your story out there. It sounds like it was a labor of love and challenge and all of those things. Thank you. Um, why don't we start if you'll just give us a quick summary of how you would describe the book. You know, everybody writes a book blurb, but nobody's going to say it better than you. So how would you describe your book to someone who hasn't read it yet? Well, it's a father-daughter story, basically, um, but also a story set in the Jim Crow South, um, a story about a father's identity and in Consequently, the daughter's identity. Um, and it's a story about not belonging, wanting to belong. Um, I guess that's, that's kind of the fourth floor elevator speech about it. Yeah, the elevator pitch. Um, yeah, definitely classified as a memoir, I would say. And I wanted to ask you some questions about memoir because it's such a hot topic in the literary world. People like love or hate a memoir, right? I happen to be in the I really like memoir camp. So don't worry, this is not an aggressive question. But, um, you know, this guy in the New York Times a few years ago wrote a scathing thing. Memoir is dead and it caused this whole uproar again. What are we doing with memoir? What's the point of memoir? Um, so as a genre, I'm just wondering for you, why choose the memoir genre? What do you like about it? Um, what do you think that it can give to the literary world and why is it important? Well, I've always loved memoir uh, long before I decided to write my own. Uh, I think it has everything it can have everything a good novel has, you know, um, an, a story arc, conflict, resolution, interesting characters. And um, and it's true, or at least true, according to the, the author who wrote it, um, because our memories are not always perfect um, because they're memories and they can shift and change shape over time. Um, but I, I've always thought memoir was a fascinating genre because um, I can identify with the stories that are told. And I always learn something new and learn about how 
the author has dealt with whatever the story is about, whatever challenge the memoir talks about. Yeah. Um, in writing a memoir, was it, did you find it to be a vulnerable and challenging place to be? I imagine there's a lot of emotion that goes into sharing a story like that with the world. Very. Um, there were days when I felt very sad and my husband would some, not very often because he's sort of forbidden to come in when I'm writing, <laughs> but he might come in to tell me something important and he'd see the look on my face and he said, what's, what's wrong? And it's just, well, I'm back, I'm back in high school or I'm back, back there where it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a happy place. And I had to go back and relive those feelings as the memories became more concrete. Um, you know, more memories began to surface. The more you write about your memories, the more things come up that you didn't even know were hiding in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did some of the people um, in your memoir react to being a part of this shared life story? Well, my parents are both dead. So it, the, the memoir really is specifically about them and, and most targeted about my father. Um, I'm the oldest of four. Uh, I have three siblings. And um, they were not happy about this, even though I discussed it with my two sisters beforehand um, and told them what my intent was. Um, and I, I have to say they've, they've taken it as a, a personal affront, um, which saddens me because mm -hmm. um, it's not about them. It's about me. It's about my father. It's about my memories. I'm sure if they had stories to tell about our life growing up, they would tell different ones. They would have a different take on it. They would have different emotions. Um, birth order and my being the eldest, I think, um, certainly had something to do with my experiences and, and my feelings about it. Um, I, I certainly understand their feelings. It saddens me um, uh, that they, they don't see the pain and the struggle in the writing and the fact that it was a way for me to um, heal myself because this mm -hmm. is a story I've lived with since my father died, uh, my whole adult life, and I've never been able to get it out of my system. I wrote about it in various ways, in essays, um, pieces of it in essays that were published here and there. Um, but I never pulled the whole thing together until the past couple of years when I was writing it. And um, I gave my siblings pseudonyms, and I told them what their pseudonyms were, asked if they were okay with that. They didn't want to be in the book at all, and I wanted to honor that, but you can't write a book about your family and about your parents without your siblings at least being mentioned, mm -hmm. but there's, there are very few times that I mention them, and um, nothing about them that is negative. Um, I don't have anything negative to say about them um, growing, up, growing up with them. Yeah. I imagine 
it's a process of catharsis in some ways for you. And then it's other people aren't going through that at the same time. So I can see how that would be challenging. Um, I find it interesting the way you're describing the process of working on memoir in the book has so much about mental health as well. And it feels like these, this personal mental health healing and journey going alongside this exploration of other, your father's mental health, you know, in the book, um, in your own mental health, as, as you talk about in the book as well, did you find it um, helpful to do this work and to, to go closer to the challenging emotions rather than stay away from them? Absolutely. And that's not something I, my siblings would agree with. Um, but writing the entire memoir enabled me to put together pieces that I'd never put together. It's a, like constructing a big puzzle that mm -hmm. take weeks and weeks to put all the pieces together. But once I did, I saw a picture a final picture I had never seen before. And it explained a lot about how I behaved as an adult, the things I pursued, the relationships I got into and got out of. Um, so many things became so much clearer after writing this. And I think I had to do it. Um, mm -hmm. When I was thinking of doing it, uh, I had lunch with a dear friend and I was feeling pretty down at the time. And I said to her, uh, there's a voice inside me that's saying, you have to write, you have to write. And I said, I sometimes feel like if I don't write this book, I'll die. Now that sounds very dramatic and it doesn't mean a physical death or that I would do anything to myself, but it was more like the me that I was trying to um, understand would be left and, and not completed. And so for me, it's a capstone, sort of my life's work. Right. Well, I'm glad you went through all of that journey because I really enjoyed reading your book. So thank you for putting it all out there. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, would you like to read for us at this point a little bit of a selection from the book? I'd be happy to. This is early in the book. After I was born and my uh, sister, who's next to me, had been born in Baltimore, where my father attended dental school. When my brother was yet to be born, my mother tended my infant sister, so I had dad all to myself at bedtime. He read and sang to me as I lay under the quilt Grandma Covington had made. He sat in a chair that faced the bed so we could see each other. The Adventures of Idabel and Wakefield by Betty S. Fix, a series of books that Grandpa Herman and Grandma Sadie presented me for my fourth birthday, was my favorite. The illustrations of the characters from those books swirled in my head forever. The mermaid goddess crystal, the singing nautilus shell on its pillow of blue velvet edged with gold, the royal fish children, Idabel and Wakefield. The exotic life under the sea beckoned to my preschool self. For most of my time living at home, I slept under that quilt Grandma Covington made for me. Its patchwork squares had no pattern but were a jumble of old fabric pieces or worn-out clothing that she had saved. I studied the different patterns and colors, imagining what the scraps had been in their previous lives. A house dress, an apron, a church dress. 
Lying under that quilt made me feel secure, the weight of it like a warm embrace. With Dad by my side, I felt the center of the universe. After Dad earned his DDS, the search for a practice began. My parents wanted to live in Winston-Salem to be close to my mother's twin sister and her family. Dad took the North Carolina dental boards and was told he, the man who graduated 20th in a class of over 100, had flunked. He knew he hadn't flunked. My mother spoke to her former boss, a doctor, about why Dad hadn't passed the boards. The doctor did some sleuthing and learned from a dentist on the board of dental examiners that they had flunked Dad on purpose. My mother was told with sympathy, of course they flunked him. They didn't want another Jew practicing in Winston-Salem. Though she knew it would be painful, my mother told Dad the truth of what she had learned. Dad wept. My mother said it was the only time I ever saw him cry. The irony was that Dad had been a church-going Southern Baptist since before the two were married. My parents had to regroup and decide what to do next. Danville, Virginia, on the North Carolina border, advertised for a dentist to serve in the public health department. It was as close as my parents could get to North Carolina, so Dad took the Virginia Dental Boards to qualify and passed handily. That's how we ended up in Danville, the town that would never let Dad forget his roots. I grew up there and felt that I was straddling a deep chasm, Judaism, music, intellect, and travel on one side, and Southern baptism, guilt, boredom, and attempts at conformity on the other. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I loved that passage in particular because I think it sums up a lot about the book. I think you meet a lot of the characters. You get a taste of the relationship and the closeness between you and your father. But I also think you really get to under, start to understand these two forces that I came to think of as characters in your book, which are the South and religion or anti-Semitism. I feel like they almost took on a non-animated character form in the book, not just a theme, but more. They played such a role in everyone's lives. Um, and I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about the ways the South and that interest, to me, fascinating going from Judaism to Southern Baptist conversion that your father made and the struggle that he had with that in the South. Um, and if you would just talk about that a little bit in his experience and the way it plays out in the book. Well, he went to great lengths to try to pass. Um, on his birth certificate, his name was Hugo, only had one name, and he changed it to Hugh. Um, and when I was about 12, he had a nose job. Um, he had a second or third cousin who was a plastic surgeon in New York, so he flew to New York. And we were told it was just to repair a deviated septum, but when he came back, he looked very different, and I was shocked. So um, and he, ad he adopted Southern ways of living, um, started chewing tobacco, going hunting, and, and he'd done that as a teenager uh, up in New York. But um, the, the tobacco chewing um, and keeping a wad tucked in your cheek um, was something new. And he was a dentist. so. Um, 
I'm glad his patients, <laughs> his patients didn't see that, <laughs> or the tobacco juice dribbling down his chin because he wasn't very good at targeted spitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but despite all of his attempts to blend in, um, he was considered that Yankee Jew, um, and I heard people refer to him that way on a couple of occasions. Mostly, people were polite to your face. I mean, Southerners are polite. They don't want to cause distress. They don't want to make dust up. But um, there was a time in Sunday school when I was asked to explain the Jewish holidays to the other students. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm Baptist like you. But it was like I felt ambushed by that question because that made me weird and different. And when you're nine years old, you don't want to be weird and different. Um, so my father picked up a lot of the, the mores of the South and um, and also somewhat of a Southern accent. Um, he certainly lost whatever Yankee accent he had. Um, of course, I didn't know him when he had a Yankee accent because I wasn't born then. Uh, so there was this undercurrent. Was, nothing was really overt most of the time, but there was an undercurrent of you're you're not quite like the rest of us. And people who would meet me for the first time would say, Kossoff, that's an unusual name. Where are y'all from? And I would say, well, I'm from Danville, just like you. Um, but, you know, that was an unusual name for the South. And Southern people like to place you in some context. You know, they want to know who your people are, what your roots are. Well, dad's roots were in Judaism and um, with an intellectual musician father. And mine were in two camps, um, sort of like uh, what Adrian Rich describes in her essay, um, Split at the Root. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's also that term third culture kids. And it reminds me of that. You're you're the mm -hmm. blend of multiple cultures and the psychology of being not one, not the other, but both is so confusing to other people. Yes. And you don't quite know where to land yourself as well. Exactly. Yeah. I hope I answered your question. Is oh, you really did. More? One thing I found very interesting about it, because I, I relate to that is this idea of assimilation that is never quite successful. Um, and the desire for assimilation, and then the mental strain that comes with like, as much as you're trying to assimilate and be seen, you're still not quite succeeding at that and the toll that that can take over time. Um, and I felt some of that for your father as well, just like the frustration with not ever quite making that assimilation move that he seemed to want to make. Um, and it also resonates with me because I don't think that's totally gone. I think someone could pick up this book and say, you know, this was his experience or your experience growing up in Danville in an era that seems so far away. And yet I think still being a Jew in the South, we're in an age that's ripe for anti-Semitism again. We have Congress people yelling about Jewish space lasers this week. Um there's a lot of this that still in the South is very real. I mean, I have people all around me who, when they would hear a name like yours, would ask the same question. Oh, where are they from? 
what kind of name is that? That's not uncommon today. And I think it's interesting to remember that, even though it might seem like something out of a different era. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. It's it's ever present. And I'm really disturbed when I see um, politicians and people of certain stripes talking about a George Soros conspiracy and that Soros funded this and that. And it's, you know, it's the anti-Semitic dog whistle. Right. And, um, or like your grandfather being the intellectual. Now we use the word globalist, you know, to describe these same things. And it's, again, people want to be polite, but then these things sneak in and you always kind of know when you're not quite in the right scene. Exactly. Um, And I was interested in how much of that hadn't changed. Um, so I, yeah, I, well, I agree that, uh, and we're seeing it now in the division in this country, um, how much hasn't changed and how we seem to be always reliving the civil war in one form or another. Um, my, my my father's father was an immigrant from Russia. My mother came from English stock, and my mother's family were slave owners um, and lost everything after the Civil War, uh, which I think was only right and just. Um, so for me, uh, my feelings about this, there's a lot of guilt mm-hmm. mixed up with um, my my feelings about the the racism I grew up around and the anti-Semitism that I saw and that my father experienced. And um, luckily I live in a community with like-minded souls and a lot of people not from the South. I'm probably in my neighborhood, one of the few native born Southerners. So um, I find comfort. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know I'm in a similar area in Durham now. It's more, where are you from? Not are you from around here? So. I understand. Right. Um, what was it like to come back to the South after having left and start to develop kind of your adult identity and persona in that space? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I came back for a job, basically, um, after I left Japan. Um, I found a hospital social work job at UNC Memorial Hospital in Chapel Hill. My sister was in graduate school there at the time and I was visiting and I thought, well, this seems like a good fit. Chapel Hill's a college town. There are, you know, there's intellect here. There are people, students from all over, students from abroad. So it didn't seem that I was really coming back to the South. I kind of view the triangle area as not the South, <laughs> kind of plopped, plopped in the South, but not, not of the South. Yes, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Having also chosen this exact place to land in this area, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, well, anything else you'd like to tell us about your book before we move into the Patreon section of our interview for the evening? Um. Only that I, I hope it gives comfort to other people who have struggled with depression and with being othered 
uh, being treated as the other uh, through no fault of their own. And my reaction to being othered as I was growing up was to retreat. I became shy and um, very kind of awkward and uh, afraid. And I stayed on my own. I retreated to my bedroom and read books and retreated into books. And so my book is dedicated to all of those who have been uh, subjected to being treated as the other, regardless of race, creed, um, all the other types of things people can be. Well, I definitely recommended it. It was a book that made me reflect on my own experience growing up in the South, my own religious processes. And I've gone the other way as your father. I went from being Baptist to converting to Judaism. So we did a a good switch. Um, (laughs) And just relationships with family and then, um, you know, growing up, what it means to define yourself as an adult and navigate all of those complicated things and then make the world for yourself. So I definitely recommend it. And thank you so much for putting it out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your great questions. Yeah, and I, I'm going to jump back in here, too. And I, I like the little last part Jordan added, and I thought that would be one one reason, uh, Miranda, that it would be nice to have her do this interview. You know, she she grew up, uh, of course, I grew up as a whiskey palian, and I, I was, I, I then ended up in the Baptist Southern, I guess we were Southern Baptist at the time. Anyway, we, we, we jumped out of that because uh, Jordan's uh, mother, my wife, was uh, the daughter of a Baptist minister who is more of a journalist. And anyway, it's very complicated, right? So, <laughs> so, so Jordan uh, marries a Jewish woman. She converts to Judaism. And I'm looking at this story here about your father. It says Jewish turned Southern Baptist. And I guess one question I would have is, how did that go for him in the, in the religious sense? Did it, did it work? I mean, was he, uh, I mean, or, or was it more about this identity trying to develop his identity or what motivated him to make the switch and and how did that how did it end up for him? Well, it's hard to tease out that he like most men of his generation, he was not in touch with his feelings. He was probably the most he had the most unexamined life of of anybody. Um, and I've often speculated that perhaps his experience in World War II, um, flying twenty six bombing missions over Germany, and knowing the fate of so many Jews under the Nazis that maybe he wanted to flee to the perceived safety of Christianity. And my mother was also a factor. Uh, He pursued her and her mother uh, cooked cooked for him the way Southern women have always treated their men. You know, they've coddled them and, and, Put them on pedestals, and I stop, said, stop, stop smiling, Jordan. You know. <laughs> this doesn't remind me of our family at all. <laughs> so, um, so I think my my grandmother cooking all this great food for him that he'd never experienced before. I mean, he just got into it, lock, stock, and barrel, and um, fried chicken and and cornbread and banana pudding and all of that stuff. Um, As far as how it worked for him, he seemed, he seemed to really embrace it. He became a deacon. Um, He spoke 
Um, he spoke at gatherings. He supported missionaries. Um, he was very interested in missionary work. Um, he had friends in the church. He was respected in the church. But as time went on, I don't think it worked for him as well. And it's, it's, it's a whole knotted ball of twine, what contributed to what, because as he declined over the years, both emotionally and physically, um, I think the religion didn't work for him. He prayed a lot to be healed for his back pain to go away. Um, and in his mind, I assume those prayers weren't answered because things just kept getting worse. And there, there was the whole issue of how he related to his own birth family, his parents. He was an only child, so, so he was it. Um, but like everyone else, he, he was good to them. He was kind, but he kept them at a distance. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of complexity to that uh, story. And as I look at the book cover here, I love the photograph on the cover. Uh, it looks like, uh, of there's leaves on the ground. There's an old car. Your father is standing there. It looks like in kind of a bomber jacket type with a pipe in his mouth holding a little girl. Is that you? That is me. That's <laughs> one of my favorite photos of him and me. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, uh, listeners, we're going to... Um, we're going to hop over on the Patreon channel here because uh, Miranda's got uh, a past that includes more than just memoir writing. She's uh, she's really taken creativity by storm. She's a metal smither, if that's the right word, painter, does collages. She's gotten into all these different creative activities. And so we're going to be talking about, uh, I think I'm going to call this title Ideas for Creative Living, something like that. And we're going to, we're going to dive in and talk with Miranda about all these different uh, creative pursuits and get some of her tips on how to be creative uh, as part of our Patreon channel. You can join us there at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, uh, listen to this episode and get all the others as well. Uh, so yeah, jump over there and hear that. Uh, Miranda, uh, well, first of all, Jordan, thank you for leading the discussion today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, And, and uh, Miranda, thanks so much for being a part of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Oh, my thanks to you. And Jordan, what a wonderful interviewer. Thank you. <laughs> Learned from the best. <laughs> I think I, I'm glad I didn't hit uh, end yet until we got that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.